The second reading is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 to 12. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living now. We ask you to urge and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honourable, not in a passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. And that in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more, and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anyone. Here ends the reading. Thanks, Ross. As I said, we're going to continue now to spend some time thinking about that second passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and particularly we're just going to be focusing on those first eight verses. And I wonder if I could start out thinking about this by asking you a question. And it's this, what would it look like if you were to consciously and actively live your life to please God? What would that look like? I suspect we know what that looks like when it comes to pleasing other people, don't we? We do the things that they want us to do, at least while they're watching anyway. And I guess in that sense, being a people pleaser has a fairly negative connotation, doesn't it? Because you know, we assume that it means that I'm only doing it uh, while they are watching, and I'm only doing it for what I can get out of it, and perhaps also the things that please them aren't necessarily the best things that I should be doing anyway. That's living to please other people in, in a negative sense. And some people do live to please friends, or to please their boss, or even just to please pretty much everyone around them. But what would it look like? That's living to please others. But what would it look like when it comes to living to please God? Because it doesn't have to have that negative connotation. It can simply mean that I make it my ambition to do the things, that the good things that God wants for me, the things that God loves and delights in, those are the things that I want to live for, not just for what I can get out of it, not just while he's watching, but because that's what I want to do. 
And this passage tells us that followers of Jesus do live to please God. You can see it there in verse 1. It says, As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. What would it look like for us to be consciously and actively living our lives to please God? And particularly, as you heard, in when it comes to this, this controversial and sensitive topic of sex. So firstly, if you want to please someone, you need to know what they want, don't you? You need to know what their will is. And that's what it tells us in verse 3. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. You know, as a pastor, one of the questions that I'm often asked is, what is God's will for my life? How can I know what God's will is? And, and people sometimes are asking that in a fairly theoretical sense. You know, how can I determine God's will for me? But other times people are asking it in a very practical sense and in very real situations where I just think, what should I do? Should I do this or should I do this? I, I want to know. Though a lot of the time, I think when we say, I want to know God's will for my life, what I actually mean is, I want God's blessing on my will for my life. In which life choice is going to work out the way that I want it to? I want God to tell me that. Now, these kinds of questions are good and important questions for us to think about, but it's been my experience that as we pursue those kinds of questions, what is God's will for my life, we can sometimes miss the very clear answers that God gives us in this area. So if you really want to know what God's will is for your life, start with the things that he has told you. And here's an answer right here in verse 3. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. Now that word sanctified, which is another word for holy, sounds like a fairly religious word, but it has a fairly simple meaning. It simply means set apart as special, dedicated for a special purpose. And that refers to both a label, a status that something is given, this is set apart as special, and it also refers to its use. That is, because this has been set apart as special, it should only be used for that special purpose. Let me give an example. When I was a kid, my mum's sewing scissors were sanctified. They were holy. I don't know if you've got sewing scissors at your house, but these scissors were amazing. You know when you can tell how sharp scissors are just by that cool sound they make when you open and close them as those sharp blades rub against each other? These scissors could cut just about anything, but they must not be used to cut just about anything because they have been sanctified. They've been set apart for a particular purpose for cutting fabric. And so they must only be used for that purpose. And in fact, if you use them for something else, like cutting paper or opening a tin of paint or carving your name in the back fence, it's bad for them, right? It's not what they're for. It will blunten them. They were sanctified. And if you are a follower of Jesus, then you have been sanctified. 
God has put his label on you. He has put his seal on you by his Holy Spirit that says set apart for God. And that makes a difference. It makes a difference for how we live because he wants us to live in a way that fits with that, that is sanctified, that is holy. It fits with the label, that, the status that he has given us. You are sanctified, so live like it. And here in particular, he's talking about how we use our bodies. Using our bodies for sexual immorality is like me using my mum's sewing scissors to carve my name in the back fence. It's not what it's for, and it's bad for us. And it's not what God wants for us. It's bad for us personally, and it's also unloving towards other people. Notice in verse 6 that it says, In this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. There is so much potential to, to wrong or to harm others if we use our God-given desires in a way that God doesn't want us to use them. God made sex for a special purpose and place, that is, in a lifelong marriage between a man and a woman. But when we use those desires outside of that union where it's so powerfully good, it becomes harmful. And you know there are some really obvious ways that sexual immorality is clearly unloving and harmful to others. And sadly, I've seen lives devastated by abuse and the damaging consequences of unfaithfulness in marriage, even when it's consensual, and, and the ripple effects that that can cause. And perhaps you've seen that too. Maybe you've even experienced that. It's a, it's a sad reality. As I said, that's true in some really obvious ways, but it's also true in some perhaps less obvious ways, like how pornography teaches men, mostly men, to treat women as objects instead of as people, and how it fosters dissatisfaction by selling a fantasy. We've been sold a lie that says, I should be free to do what I want and what makes me feel good, that's the good life. And it doesn't hurt anyone, does it? That's the lie we've been sold. Now, I remember when I was in high school actually being envious of those people around me who were living their life basically doing whatever they wanted to do in all kinds of areas, including in this area. I was a Christian and I was glad to be a Christian. I wanted to be a Christian. But I still envied their freedom as I saw it. But I remember I was talking about, about how I felt about this with an older Christian friend who had spent his teenage years doing the things that, that I wanted to be doing. And he said to me, don't envy that. I've lived that life and I wish that I hadn't. The, the life that Jesus has given us to live is so much better and I wish I'd known about that earlier. Now he knew the, the forgiveness and the restoration that comes through knowing Jesus, but he also knew firsthand the hurt and the damage that that life he has, had lived had caused. And perhaps none more so than in this area. Sexual immorality is harmful and hurtful to other people and even to ourselves. Now I guess that's a, a practical reason to avoid these things, 
But the bigger reason that we're given here is simply that it's not pleasing to God. It's not what he wants for us. And in fact, in verse 8, it says, if we reject this instruction, then we are rejecting God, who is the one who has sealed us by his Holy Spirit. How can we say that we love God and we want to follow him if we reject the things that he tells us? But positively, if we do want to pursue what is pleasing to God, then he has told us what this will look like in this area. As I said, I used to kind of think of living God's way as being like a barrier to the things that I actually wanted to do, like a fence that was stopping me from going where I really wanted to go. And I suspect that's how many of us think about the commands and the instructions that God gives us. You know, I want to be over there and doing those things, but God doesn't want me to. He wants me to stay over here, so I'll begrudgingly obey. But what that does is it makes me think, well, how close to the fence can I go? You know, how, I want to be over there, but I know that I can't, so I'll go as close to the fence as I can. That's all right, isn't it? That's okay. But wouldn't it be great if we could flip that around? Wouldn't it be great if we could see God's instructions not as a barrier stopping me from where I really want to go, but as a goal that I want to strive towards because I know that that is good. I know that that is the good life that God wants for me and that that's what pleases him. And so my incentive changes, not so much needing just to obey the law, but wanting to please the law giver. Do you see the, the positive difference that makes? Instead of thinking, how far can I go before I'm stepping over the line, I start thinking, how can I please God in this area of my life? That's my goal. That's the direction that I want to run in. What kind of a difference would that make? Not just in what I do with my body, but in what I fill my mind with, what I look at, what I think about, what I talk about, actually reminds me of, of a verse in Philippians that says, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, think about those things. Fill your mind with those things. And, and that verse really sticks with me because do you hear how positive it is? And it changes my whole mindset. Because I want to please God, it makes me want to pursue what is good. Not just, is this allowed, but is this good? Is this going to help me to live in a way that is pleasing to God? And, and notice too that Paul is writing this to people who are generally doing pretty well in this area. He says in verse 1 again, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. See, living to please God is a lifelong journey. It's something we continue in throughout our lives. And so this is a word for all of us. It, it's a word for those of us who are doing well in this area. And it's also a word for those who are struggling or perhaps who have a past that we wish we didn't have. Whatever our past or even our present, this is God's will for you. 
if you've committed adultery, if you're struggling with pornography, if you're in a marriage that is hard, or even if you're in a good marriage, if you're single, if you're divorced, whatever your situation, whatever your past or your present, this is God's will for you, that you live a life that is pleasing to him in this area. And with that in mind, I just want to finish with a word about grace. See, living to please God is not about earning our way into God's good books. None of us could ever do that. This is about living as people who have been forgiven and saved and sanctified. God loved you first. You didn't have to earn that. You don't have to earn that. And there is nothing, there is no sin too big or too personal or too painful that is beyond the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus. So if you're struggling under the burden of your past or even your present failures in this area, bring it to Jesus. Throw off your burden at the cross of Jesus and know that in him there is forgiveness. And listen to the words that Jesus said to the prostitute who fell at his feet in tears knowing the, the weight of her sin. He said to her, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is a, a difficult topic for many of us. But we do pray that you will give us a heart and give us your spirit to want to live a life that is pleasing to you, to want to live according to your will. And so, Father, we ask that you will help us to pursue what is good and to flee from what is not good, to flee from those things that you have told us to stay away from. And, Father, we pray that this will cause us all the more, more and more, to live a life that is pleasing to you in all that we do and this morning particularly in this area that we've been discussing. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.